Greetings, nerdos, and welcome to episode 13 of 78 episodes, 30 good ones. I am your red shirt level quality host, Oliver Rockside. Sunning it up in Florida, it was 100 degrees here. That is 37 in Celsius for you people who are younger than I am. Uh, it was delicious, and uh, I am enjoying the Florida weather. We may get one more episode in Florida uh, before I return home to uh, north of the 49th. But for now, I also got my fourth dose of uh, of uh, vaccine today, so I may be, you know, vax drunk. I don't know. This could be kooky. I, I'm feeling fine, but one never knows. I don't know if vaxed hammered is a qualification of drunkness but we'll find out and we'll find out along with my special guest he has returned he is uh not only an expert in star trek he is an expert in writing in the english language and uh he is a great star presence again to join us dr steve cloutier is with us hello steve how you doing uh, as I said, Vax drunk. I, 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 this may go right off the rails. I don't know. And I suppose as somebody who doesn't drink, you're not used to being drunk. I have never been drunk in my life. So, like, like uh, sounds like me. We're, we're used to being drunk. So we, we, we kind of know what to do and what not to do. Okay. Well, I, I always say that there's four types of drunk. I don't know if my audience should knows me well enough to go over the four types, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, I think I may shock them. Uh, but, uh, let's just say if, uh, I start, you know, giggling uncontrollably, I'm back, hammered. <laughs> First of all, we have to thank, uh, the great, uh, Stephanie and Jason who joined us a last time for our last episode. Thank you kids. Or as I like to call them now, the Nerdo muffins, that is trademark. Uh, and, uh, yes, that was always fun. It's always fun to have them as it is with Steve and all of our guests. And uh, today we, uh, we we went on a little bit of a binge of open face sandwiches, but we are now back to your regularly scheduled sandwich for this episode. Three episodes, Steve and I are going to be discussing. But before we get to that, we have to t- talk about my qualifying question, which I have been bandying about with uh, various guests. And uh, I'm very interested to hear Steve's uh, answer to this. Steve... I hate the Kelvin timeline. Tell me why I'm wrong. Um, I don't think I can. So we are in the same camp as Jason and Stephanie. Yes, we are. We are in that. Ca- and and the reason is, it, it, like the the concept was good. I think the concept itself was good, but the Star Trek movies just became action movies. Oh yes, very much so. You, you take you take the one with, with um, uh, the one where they they did uh, Khan. They brought Khan back. Um, you know. Yeah, into darkness. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the, the whiter than white Benedict Cumberbatch. And yes. <laughs> white? Could you get any? Could you get an even whiter name as opposed to palette? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I like Benedict Cumberbatch. I mean, he's a very good actor. Um, but um, uh, miscast. Um, but, but that movie that started out with this kind of idea, which I initially thought was interesting. I liked about the first 20 minutes, half an hour of that movie, right? where Kirk starts to say, well, we created this guy and now you want me to go out and destroy him. Right. 
you know, and he, he kind of raises the kind of moral questions, which I thought was very good. Uh, but then the film just ends up with Khan and Spock on, on a machine of some kind punching each other. Yes, and we, we won't even discuss the switcheroo of Kirk dying and Spock, you know, outside. Yes. The, that was horrendous. Exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, I th- I, and, that's, and that's what I think is like, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. Right. They're, they're trying to keep the stuff that, that is good, is probably good, uh, you know, and Wrath of Khan um, is, you know, revered amongst uh, Star Trek people as one, as one of the best movies, if not the best movie of the original cast. Um, and so they're, they're trying to bring in that kind of goodwill into this new universe they created. I would argue that Wrath of Khan is one of the best movies ever made. Like, well, that's of true. all, like a definite top 100. Uh, yes. You know, uh, take away the science fiction part, and it's still uh, one of the greatest yeah. movies ever made. I did find it very interesting. And I'm trying to think back because this was before, this was pre Johnny Depp as Tonto. Right. Where the, the thing of cultural appropriation really became an issue in popular culture. Yeah. I, I don't know whether Benedict Cumberbatch, this was brought up during this but it always kind of made me giggle it's like so how do we qualify some a latino playing uh south asian <laughs> in the original <laughs> how did we get there <laughs> yeah 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 and it, it, it is kind of weird because i've been re-watching a lot of the old uh, original hawaii five o's right um and it, and in that ricardo montalban plays a japanese guy no really and they, they actually do the eye makeup thing to make his eyes. Oh, like Sean Connery and You Only Live yeah, Twice? Yeah, yeah, Oh, my yeah, yeah, yeah. God. Yeah. And it must be galling for somebody like Montalban, who, like, because people in Hollywood always told him to lose the Mexican accent. Right. And he insisted on keeping it. And then the, sort of the irony of this guy who's fighting so much for his own heritage is now here he is playing a Japanese guy. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the irony must not have been lost on him. Yes. And uh, you would think that, you know, well, I guess with Hawaii Five O at that particular time, every Asian character actor known to mankind, like from Jack Wu to uh, yeah. uh, who was the gentleman who was on Sun Park? Who is the gentleman who was on MASH all the time? Uh, Sun Tech O. Yeah. Tech yeah. O. yeah. You know, Robert Ito from Quincy was probably on it. Yes. Point. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I guess they maybe they exhausted the casting list in that. But, uh, yes, yeah, the cultural sensitivity of uh, Into Darkness is yes. not a thing uh, or not not a, uh, a, yes. a good choice. Let me just put it that way. So the movies, you're right about them being action movies because, uh, especially the last one, Beyond, that's just an episode of Voyager with, with yeah. action scenes. Yeah. And, the, and, and Star Trek has always had sort of an action element to it, but but the attraction of Star Trek in its fandom has always been the kind of the deeper stuff, like the the moral questioning, and you know, and you know, and so and it doesn't always work, obviously, in the original series, as as you're finding out. But you know, <laughs> um, yes. but at least they're trying. Whereas it, it's like it, they don't seem to be trying anymore. Yes. And we are going to talk about that, uh, especially for one episode today that we're going to review today. Um, But uh, now we bring Steve on for not only his Star Trek knowledge, as I mentioned, but also for his 
knowledge of the English language and how to construct stories. And uh, because I have no knowledge of, of that outside of what I like and what I don't like. So it's time to carb load, uh, Steve. And I say that as a preamble because we are not going to need your Star Trek fandom nor your literary knowledge for the first episode. No. <laughs> it is a fucking atrocity. Yeah. The first episode we are going to talk about is the second season, The Deadly Years. And my God, Steve. <laughs> I hadn't watched... I hadn't watched. Uh, they, the- they must. They must. They must have liked it. They must have liked it because they brought it back for Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oh, don't even remind me. I think that may have been the lowest point. If Nagilam wasn't the lowest point of season two, the yeah. redoing it with Pulaski in 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 that season was just the lowest of the low. Yeah. Oh my God. This I hadn't watched this in a long time because I I hated it right from the get go. Yeah. But this is just like. Why am I spending 50 minutes in the worst Shady Acres retirement home franchise ever? <laughs> it's just people being crotchety with each other. Yeah. And, and then they and then they have that kind of uh scene where the 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 competency here competency hearing. Yes. Which is kind of any plot that that there is just kind of stops. Yes. That scene kind of grinds it to a halt. Yes, because it right? goes on forever. Yeah, and 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 it's, it's I don't know. It reminded me kind of of Menagerie that that you know, but with Menagerie at least the whole that was the whole framing device, right? So so they could get, kind of get away with with that. Yes. But with this one, it was just it just kind of ground any kind of plot, and there's not really a plot, as you said. It's just people being crotchety at each other, and it it, it just kind of stops. It does. It just. This thing, actually, Steve, it's funny you bring that up because uh, I'm watching it and I think, okay, this is almost done. Um, and so I said, I'll just take a break and go outside and have a coffee and enjoy the weather. And I look at the counter and I'm only 16 minutes in. I'm like, yeah, will this yeah. ever fucking end? Yeah, this 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 really seemed like a long episode. It did. Well, yeah. we should set the scene for everybody who haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a long while. Is that the uh, Enterprise goes down to uh, check on a uh, kind of a Federation installation? Some scientists that are down are down there, and uh, when they all come back, uh, they have been affected by some level of radiation, which has made them all age in you know ten years, an hour kind of thing, or ten years, twelve hours, and this creates the the makeup for this is ludicrous now. Yeah. When, when, if I'm hoping that Doug will join us again. And if he does, we'll have to ask him about this makeup because this may have been state of the art for not for the 60s. I don't know. Yeah. But Spock, they did okay with, but Kirk and McCoy. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. And, and from what I, what I understand, DeForest Kelly's always said that he really didn't like doing this episode because he, he was in makeup for so long. Yeah that he was barely on set. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And it's like, it's like, oh, you took, took that long to do the makeup and it, and it was that crappy. Yeah. And it's, it's just them watching them age. Yeah. Until they come up with this radiation theory. And, and of course there's a competency um, uh, hearing because yeah. of course Kirk is getting older and older and older. And uh, he seems, <laughs> 
their concept of what 70 was back then must be different than now. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. Kirk was act Kirk was acting like he was a hundred. Yeah, the, the only thing I can think of as a kind of justification is that because the aging was so rapid mm-hmm. that it it like it made it worse. Yeah. Naturally, that's the only thing that I can kind of think of that um, sort of justifies that. Because you're right, he, you know, it's it's like, you know, he's 110 or something like that. Yeah, I know. It's it's like okay, <laughs> I'm like I'm only 13 years away from 70. I'm like, this is what I'm going to be. <laughs> um, but uh, much like Kirk, the hair loss has already clicked in. But yeah. um, but uh, now. You may think that we are really not describing much here for this particular episode, but there isn't much to describe except for two things. One, I think, was the it certainly didn't redeem the episode, but it was nice to see. And then we have got to talk about a character in this that is just so bizarre. Um, I did like the fact, Steve, that they did not make the Commodore, the Commodore who is in charge, they didn't make him the villain. No. They they just made him a moron. Yes, because usually, you know, the higher-ups in uh, Star Trek, yeah. more times than not, are kind of portrayed as these villainous uh, pe- pencil pushers who don't understand. Yeah. And this guy had every reason to, to get rid of Kirk yeah. in being in charge. So, and they didn't make him out to be a villain. Yeah. They didn't make him out to be anything other than just a guy doing his job. Well, a guy dumb enough to take the ship through the Romulan space. Well, yes, that part. But they didn't make him a villain. And I think that that was refreshing. No, that's true. No, that's that's true. He genuinely admired Kirk, but came to the conclusion that Kirk was no longer competent, which is probably true. He, he, he wasn't yeah. competent. And so he was genuinely just trying to do what was right. Yes. Yes. However... There's another character in this. For reasons I still have no idea, is that they introduce, as part of the Commodore science team, uh, a lost love of Kirk. I can't even remember her name. Um, That's how forgettable she was. Yeah. A terrible actress, but in her defense, she was given nothing to do except stand around, proclaim her daddy issues. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird scene. Was that weird or not? It was It was weird. Because, Cause, you know, uh, yeah, because there she was, a, a, an ex of, of Kirk, and that's fine. I mean, you know, Kirk Kirk plays around. I mean, you know, there's, there's bound to be a lot of exes around. Yeah. But then she's... Then there's this that's the scene where where she says, "Well, I thought I was over you, but I'm get I guess you're not." He said, "How old was your is your husband? How much yeah. older?" He, she says, I'm, "He's 23 years." And he, he's like, "Ah." So the implication is she's now hot, back on hot for Kirk because he he looks older. It's weird. It especially for the 60s. Yeah. Like first of all, they didn't need to bring that up. No. We never get to meet the ex-husband or well, I think he's dead, isn't he? But we, we, yeah, I think he's dead. We don't get any pictures or anything like that, so there's no need to reference that he's 26 years older than than she is. No. Until and then we introduce daddy issues into it, and I'm like, yeah, oh my god, I'd forgotten completely about this character. 
And I'm glad that I did because I now have to spend the next year, t- 10 years remembering that she's present. Janet Wallace. I, f- I found, I found her name in my notes. Janet Wallace. Is that, is that the actress or is that the character? name? No, that, that's, that's the character. Okay. Janet, go away. Yeah. <laughs> you are superfluous to any of this. Like I can see it kind of having a kind of scientific character because McCoy, McCoy is out, right? So having a scientific character who could work with Spock to come up with a cure, I can see that part. Um, but then there's all this other stuff being Kirk's ex, and then these daddy issues and things like that. That just seems, I guess, it's because Kirk's old and he doesn't have he 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 can't bonk somebody. So we complicate things with this quasi romantic thing. Yeah, I don't. Uh... I don't get any of this. No. Now, I'm always happy when the Romulans show up. Yep. And um, I guess the remaster did some work on adding Romulan ships to this. Yes. They say in the show that there's 10 of them, but I can't remember in the original if we saw 10 of them. In this particular one, you do. No, I don't think so. But... I guess the idea of of them tricking the Romulans to get away is interesting, but I think that that should have been more of the episode. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I I, I think, you know, thinking in terms of like story writing and, and you, you need a consequence, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, and, and in a show like Star Trek, you need a really big consequence. Right. Because we, we know that Kirk and McCoy and Spock are not going to die. Right. Right. Um, because, you know, you need them for the next episode. Right. So I think what it was is, is I, I could kind of see this because from, from what I understand, I don't know all the details because um, I haven't looked into it a lot. There was a lot of rewriting. Oh. And I, I think somebody said we need something more. And so they said, well, okay, well, we'll have them go through the Romulan space and, and bring up the Romulans. Because now it's not just Kirk dying or McCoy dying. Now the ship could be destroyed, war with the Romulans, all that kind of thing. So, so I think it's there to kind of ratch up right. the, the threat. I don't think it's done well, but that, I think that's what it's there for. But you've ratched up the threat with only 10 minutes left in the show, wouldn't you? I know. I, and that's why I think part I think that's that's why I surmise that they were through, they just said, Well well we need something. Mm. Right. And they were so far in the process that they couldn't quite completely rewrite the episode. And so you had somebody who just kind of wrote that scene and they kind of tacked it on. Yeah. In the last ten minutes. That it did feel tacked on. That's a very good point, Steve. I can't say this is one in the bottom 10 because trust me, we have so much more crap to go through, but this is horrible. It's a must skip. Yeah. There was one part. There was one part I did like. Okay. And I understand why they didn't do it, but I always kind of, one of the things I always liked and it happened very rarely, but when Chekhov and Sulu are alone mm-hmm. and they kind of have a banter between each other. Yeah. You know, and, and when, because because Chekhov is the one because of the adrenaline because he was scared he was the one who didn't age right right you know and so there's that there's that little scene where because they're doing a lot of tests on, on Chekhov to figure out why he's not aging and everybody else is and there's that little scene which I thought was really good between him and Sulu in which Sulu says he, he says I don't think I will survive and and Sulu Sulu says yes you will survive and Chekhov says yeah I will survive 
but I won't enjoy it. You know, that kind of little moment between these kind of two junior officers who, who are essentially bitching and complaining about their bosses. I kind of like that episode or that, that, that scene. I, I like it when they do that too. They, they do that occasionally throughout the, the original series where, where, you, where you have Chekhov and Sulu doing that kind of thing. And I always kind of like that because it gives a kind of a little bit more of a layer to the universe. Yes, absolutely. Although I must warn people, Chekhov is in like full wine during this whole episode. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He, yeah, he, he, he's very whiny. But I just like that kind of, you know, the idea of, of, of one guy bitching about, about his, his superiors and the other guy kind of mocking him and making fun of him. Yes, yeah, so you're right. It does add a layer to two characters who, let's face it, over three seasons really did not get a lot of screen time. And and B, no backstory except for, you know, Chekhov being the Russian Beatle, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's a must-skip, people. Yes, yeah. Trust me on this one. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, this is not one of the ones, when I sit down to say, I think I'll watch some Star Trek, this is not one that will come up. No. But our next carb, this may be a contentious one. Uh, but I'm going to make my, I'm going to make my case to Steve because I think that Steve, although I don't know this, Steve may like this one a little bit more than I do. Um, but I'll make my case anyway. And our next carb is a first season episode called Operation Annihilate. This introduces the concept of, um, Kirk having a brother, uh, for (laughs) grand total of maybe 20 seconds. Uh, doesn't seem to be too miffed that uh, he's died. No, no. Um, but uh, they are going to uh, uh, a planet called Deneva, and uh, they are going to Deneva to check out on everybody because they've noticed a trend uh, within neighboring star systems that have died off uh, for no uh, reason. They've kind of wondered about what's happened. And uh, so they get to the planet, they discover a man charting a space vehicle straight into the Denovan sun. And uh, they, don't get, they don't get to save him, but he says something very important. He says, I'm free. So they beam down to the planet, which, by the way, was UCLA. <laughs> um, and nobody's about. There's a million people indoors, mm-hmm. but nobody's out and about. And uh, they're warned to leave, yet by these people carrying clubs, uh, they're warned in a rather helpful way. So the dichotomy of being warned verbally, yet with people with clubs in their hands, makes them feel a little bit uh, weird because they're getting two different messages. Uh, Before they leave the planet, however, Spock uh, gets, and again, the special effects of this, gets a jellyfish. Right in the back. And uh, it looked like someone was trying to approximate scrambled, <laughs> I mean, uh, fried eggs yeah. with latex or je- some kind of jelly. Um, and You know what they are. What are they? They're vomit bags, fake vomit bags. Oh, are they? Yeah, that's what, that's what, that's what they are. Okay, well, we may have to change the episode, the title of this episode then. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, so Spock gets this in the back. And they realize that these jellyfish, I'm just going to call them that from now on, just for ease, um, are aliens who are now 
taking control. So it's it's invasion of the body snatchers, basically, which I don't really have an objection to, Steve. It is. Um, that really doesn't make it a carb-worthy episode. No. I think the idea is good. I think the interplay is very good. Um, I think for a first season, this was the last episode of the first season, I believe. And uh, so everybody's kind of in there. They, they've kind of go, kind of gained their traction into the characters. Yes. And into the world. This is where it falls down to me. And this is what puts it in carb territory. Yeah. Just as an example, a lot of people love chili. I am, I'm a seven on chili. If you present it with me without beans, important point, if you present it with me, I'm, I'm quite happy to eat it. Cornbread that goes along with it, superb. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of people who take making chili seriously. So they go to the butcher. They, they plan their whole Saturday. You know, it has to start out at nine o'clock in the morning for be ready by six. So they go to the butcher. They get a special grind to go into it. They get all kinds of different recipes because chili is just one of those things. I've heard about putting beer in it as a base. I've heard about putting Hershey's Kisses into it. I've heard about putting coffee grounds into it. All these people have this different chili recipe. So they sit there and they baby this all day. And then imagine you've done all of that. And then somebody comes with a big costco size jar of ranch dressing and just dumps it in. This is what happens here because, and I'm going to see if I get the term right, Yeah, is that they use... A Dea ex machina, and I hope I I hope I am correcting that, uh, uh, pronouncing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dea ex ex machina. Yeah, yeah. Of Spock having an inner eyelid, and it just fucking ruins the whole thing. It's the ranch dressing. I know, I know. There there are two things for me that is to use your analogy, the ranch dressing. Um, the other one is. Uh, because, uh, you know, they, they figure out that light kills it. Um, and so they, 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 they need somebody to, to, um, test it on. So Spock volunteers and stuff like that. And he, and so he, therefore he's blinded because of the light and stuff like that. And, and this is, this is the part of the episode that really annoys me is as he comes out and he says, yes, I am blind. It's then when nurse chapel comes out and says, oh, here's the report. It's like, kind of scientist (laughs) goes to the next experiment without getting the report from the first experiment. You're right. I didn't think of, I didn't think of that, but you're right. You know, and, and, and it's like, well, that's what they should have done. And then said, okay, it works. Then do it. You know? And I think that more so the, the inner eyelid, like the inner eye. I agree with you on the inner eyelid thing. That that's, that that's kind of dumb. But it's it's that moment for me that just says, you know, this could have been a great episode. Yes. And now it's just a kind for me it's kind of middling one. It's not it's not the one of the worst, you know, on the it's but it's about the middle. Right? Maybe. Yes, I'm 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 with you. What what's giving it the carb status to me is that inner eyelid. Because yeah. this inner eyelid is never mentioned before. No. Remember, we're we're no. twenty nine episodes in. Yeah. And I don't think it's ever been mentioned again. No. That Vulcans have this inner eyelid. No, no, it's it's just a kind of thing where they they want to blind Spock, but again they need to reset for the next season, right? They, for the next episode, yes, they, 
they they can't have Spock blind because then he would leave the ship. And so they need some kind of way to get make sure that he's not blind. Yes. Now we should we should say that these the the, the jellyfish um, are incredibly insidious and in and because they're this is one of the really highlights of the episode is that Nimoy's acting in this is very good. Yes. Because he is acting without words. Yes. He he is acting as he is controlling this pain that this particular uh, alien kind of imbues into you. Yes. And I thought his acting was very, very well done. It's the opposite of Shatner. It's very subtle. Yeah. You always believe that he is in pain without histrionics. Yeah. And uh, and so you kind of see Spock. This is a very Spock-centered episode. It is. Where you kind of see him take this this pain on, and they discover that the gentleman who was driving his space vehicle into the sun was free because of UV light. UV light kills yeah. these aliens. So this is where we get to the point where Bones thinks it's just light, like the whole spectrum. Um, whereas after the test, yes. <laughs> um, they find out. After he gets reported the test. <laughs> yes, they only find it's only the UV light. Now, I will say another great thing about this episode is the remaster is fantastic. It is, yeah. And I don't think that I've noticed I mean, of course, I've noticed the remaster, yeah. but I I don't think I've noticed it as much. No, I think yeah, yeah. As in this episode, when they're when they're laying down those satellites, yeah, it's like wow, because yeah. looks so clean. Because sometimes in the episodes, um, the remaster kind of take takes me out of it sometimes. Yeah, but it didn't this time. I think this time, you know, they did it. They did it perfectly. I think I, I agree with you on that. So I would all in all say this is a missed opportunity. Yes. Um, because I think this this would have been top 20. Yeah. But it puts it in the 40s because of that stupid plot device. Yes. That, and again, Steve, they do this with 10 minutes left in the episode. Yeah. So any drama that may have been devised by this is completely obliterated in five minutes. Exactly. I, I don't... I, as I said, I don't understand the structure of the writing here. Like you, well, I think, like you say, I think part of the problem is, and the Gene Kuhn and Gene Roddenberry were notorious for this, like a lot of rewriting and stuff like that, and mm -hmm. and that can happen when you rewrite things that you know when you're trying to kind of mesh different styles together when you're trying to sort of add bits to an existing script that sometimes it comes across as being disjointed right you know and and that's and i think that's a case of yeah and, and again part of the problem too is and and you might ask doug about this uh, but but filming isn't always in se in sequence either no so you, so you don't you don't necessarily know it you don't kind of don't realize it no but the script is it the script is you know they wouldn't they wouldn't do that with a finished script has to yeah yeah no not from 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 what i understand that there there was some heavy ah okay dur even during filming and stuff like that there was some heavy rewriting going on and stuff not always but sometimes so well we're going to consider this a miss uh it's right on the yeah. line um but uh i i'd call it a foul ball okay that's very good 
You know, one of one of those one of those home runs that just kind of drifts foul. We can tell that Steve spent his whole Thursday afternoon listening to Duke Snyder and Dave Van Horn. <laughs> oh, that that tweet brought me back, my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, me too. That was my J.R. Richard days. Um, <laughs> ah, yes. And uh, so that's that's a it's a we're going to call it a carb, but as Steve said, it's a foul ball. But now we get to the highlight of this episode. I love this episode. Is it top ten to me? No. But I think that what it brings to me, and I'd really love to hear your thoughts on this, Steve, is this episode really shows what science fiction writing can do. Yes. If you take the fantasy part out, you know, we've all, we all think of science fiction now as science fiction fantasy. Take the fantasy yeah. out of this. I think that one of the great things about science fiction is that it portrays a situation, a reality, or a moral dilemma within a different time frame and a different uh, background. Yeah. And for that, and the reason that they do that, and really where the most successful um, uh, science fiction is, is that it talks about real world problems without you knowing it. Yeah. Because that's what the, the, the difference in time and the difference in situation is. This to me is a perfect example of when science fiction writing goes perfectly and it is an episode called a taste of armageddon and i love this episode because they're telling a 60s story within a star trek world Mm -hmm. agreed agreed but i but i would also say and um when you had uh the muffins uh the neuro muffins on before um um you, you talked about what makes star trek still appealing yes this episode has a lot of resonance with today. Yes, this is time. That's another thing about Star a good science fiction writing. It's timeless. Yeah, you know. So, so th- this this could have been an episode that was written in 2022. Absolutely, Steve. Good point. Good point. You know, because um, as I say, because I, I teach science fiction as well. I teach science fiction courses. Right. And one of the things I always say is the best science fiction is not about the future. Yes. It's about the present. Yes. You know, and all the the best science fiction sort of reflects back on who we are by showing who we could become. Right. Right. So with my theory, would I get like a B in your class? Um, probably a B. Yeah. If you worked out okay. a little bit more, maybe, maybe a B minus a B, B plus a minus. Oh, see, that's always my problem. I'm lazy as shit. Uh, yeah, see, that's the problem. <laughs> However, uh, this particular episode, we have a returning guest. Yep. Uh, although this was her first episode of Star Trek, we've already talked about her second one, which was um, Plato's Stepchildren, is Barbara Babcock is back. Yep. Uh, a particular favorite of mine for reasons that are somewhat purient. Um, but as, uh, as, as Rybeck would say, she's a handsome woman. Yes, there we go. And uh, now she doesn't have a big role in this, but uh, she is present. I'm trying to remember. I know his first name is David, but uh, anybody who watched 60s or 70s TV shows knew who David Opishatu is. Is that his name? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, Another character actor who is very understated and quite great. The Enterprise uh, goes to a planet hoping to um, uh, initiate diplomatic ties. And are warned to stay away, but of course, because they're the Enterprise, they go full. They go full force forward. Yeah. Uh, we are joined on the bridge uh, with a diplomat 
whose caller needs to be seen to be believed. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, he, he is Ambassador Fox. And so they get to the planet. They beam down. Everybody's nice. They think the planet's wonderful. But it turns out that this planet has been in a war with a neighboring planet for 500 years. And because they don't want all of the nastiness of war from injured people to destroyed buildings to destroyed cultures, they have devised a way where they attack each other via computer. And then the computer tells everybody who's a casualty or not, and they have to go and off themselves. I thought of you watching this episode, uh, Steve, because this is a very socialistic idea. It is. This is this is very for the greater good yeah. that everybody kind of goes along with this. Yeah. Am I out of line in saying that? No, no, because because okay. there, I mean, you know, and and being leftist myself, and 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 being socialist myself, there there are people on the left who will say, well, we shouldn't do anything like you know unemployment insurance and welfare. Uh, we should just let everything get real bad. Um, because that will sow the seeds for the revolution, right? You know, so so that's so there is a brand, a trend on the left that um, you know will let other people uh, suffer, right? Um, for the greater good, the greater good, yeah. So this particular um, idea, funnily enough, is is argued. This is obviously well. We have two things. Obviously, this is before the whole, you know, no first contact rules and uh, not in because you know, oh, yeah. Kirk blows that into the water. Yeah, uh, we are. I think this is episode 16 of the first season. We're still calling them Vulcanians, people. Yeah, <laughs> we need to get over that. Yeah. But this episode is so well done because basically what they're saying is that you've made war too clean. And you need to find, you need to realize after 500 years, you need to see the broken buildings and the broken bodies and the broken culture yep. for you to make a peace agreement. So this was somewhat a basis of the idea in the 60s of the mad idea, the mutually assured destruction idea. Yeah. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, although we could have an argument about the 80s and Reagan and all that silliness, that that really wasn't used for peace. That was used as a threat. What Kirk does is that he uses it for a reason to make peace, which I found very interesting and very consistent with Roddenberry's thinking at the time, yeah. I believe. Yeah, yeah, because there's that there's that idea that um, because you 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 kind of make yourself immune to the consequences of it. Yes, you don't actually see right. the, um, the the devastation that it causes. And and I'm going to do something that probably no one else has ever done. I'm going to talk about a French theorist. Ooh. Um, Ooh, down goosebumps. Okay, go. <laughs> I know, I know. Jean Baudrillard says this about the Gulf War. You know, and he he writes a very debated, hotly contested, debated essay called "The Gulf War Did Not Exist." Okay, and his and his main idea was, you know, and some people have said, well, that means, but for the people on the ground, it really did. There were dead people, and but but his point is, or at least the way I I, inter I, I read what he says is that in in the West, it kind of became a TV event. 
Yes. Rather than a real event, right? You know, and I remember, I remember, you know, sort of uh, Dan Rather sort of providing sound effects, right? Because because they had, they had an image of of a, a American missile hitting something, but they didn't have sound. Mm-hmm. So when it hit, Dan Rather would go boom, right? Right, and and so Bo- what Boldriard says is is by doing that, because we don't have the same kind of effect. Uh, or the same kind of consequence to war, then we lose we lose our ability to see the madness, the insanity, the brutality of war. Well, that's very you know. true. May I just ask a technical question at this point, yep. Steve? Was this talking about the first uh, Gulf War? Yes, or the second the first one. Gulf, the first okay, one. because this yes. is the thing: is that America did find out what yeah. this kind of you know uh, ten years later. Yes. And it, it's, you're absolutely right. The, the first Iraq war was completely a television event. Yeah. And nobody understood it. Yeah. And, and he taught, and, and, and what, one of the things that he talks about is, Baudrillard talks about, is this idea that because we didn't see, like, this is the thing about Vietnam, right? It was on television, but people saw and also the, the dead bodies. Right. And they saw what, what came back off, you know, I, off the plane exactly yeah exactly exactly and world war ii not so much in north america although there were dead bodies coming back but like england like with the blitz and stuff like that those wars you couldn't get away from right because all all of the people even if you didn't know anybody who died in the vietnam war you you knew your neighbor yeah who died in the vietnam war so you were you were attending funerals and stuff like that you know so there were there there was a real personal consequence and because of the kind of technological television idea of the gulf war and and this is kind of what they're what they're talking about here because of that we never we watching it never felt like there was any kind of personal consequences mm-hmm. no it's 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 very true but it's funny because you know my father was in the was in World War II, right? And he he refused to talk about it. Yeah. So it's just one, and I think that that was a very common sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. My my uh, Karen, my wife, um, her grandfather um, mm-hmm. was it was in the Navy, and he ferried uh, people, men, soldiers on D Day. Like he 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 was in in landing craft, right. and she she said he wouldn't talk about it either. She said all he used to do is get drunk and cry. Yeah, and it, it's it's just one of those things. But I think that's one of the ingenious things about this episode. Yeah, I should also mention that whereas the deadly years, watching it made me feel like I was in my deadly years. <laughs> this episode just goes is very snappy. It is. Uh, it go no pacing notes here. I no. mean, I think that they did a really really good job on this. It was co written by Gene Kuhn. I don't know if there was any post-script add-ons. It certainly didn't feel like it, Steve. It didn't feel like it. No, it, did, it didn't feel like it. No, we do have ridiculous headgear back. Um, True. <laughs> always a fun thing. But uh, I I really like, like this episode. As I said, not top 10, but uh, it's a good one. And I would really, yeah. especially after Steve's analysis, I would really uh, encourage you to go and watch it with a different view. Yeah, and uh, just kind of take it, kind of soak in what 1966 America was going through, and kind of adapt to the story. Because yeah. this, to me, is what perfect science fiction is. Yeah, yeah, and also Scotty gets some good lines in. 
Yes. Oh, yes. There's something about haggis in the fire. Isn't yeah, there? The haggis yeah. Is in the fire now. He says. Yeah. <laughs> and and one of my favorites is when he calls the ambassador a popinjay. Yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah. you don't hear the word popinjay much anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Steve, that's our three episodes. So uh, avoid the deadly years. Yes. Begrudgingly avoid an Operation Annihilate, and definitely check out a taste of armageddon yeah taste of armageddon is in my top 20 is it yeah it's in my yeah. top 20 it's in my top 20 yeah and it is not just for barbara babcock no no so uh just a little news um if you've enjoyed this episode and feel it's a little tighter and certainly a lot smoother you can thank our the newest member of the team uh the delightful natalie has come on board as our editor uh, replacing me. Ooh. I fired myself. Um, so uh, if you've enjoyed the episode, <laughs> it's all thanks to Natalie and Steve. So a little note there. Uh, Steve, if anybody wants to get in co- contact with you and talk about French philosophers, how can they get in touch with you? You can you can get a hold of me on the Twitter um, at Doc Pinko. Fantastic. And uh, you can find me or this podcast at 78 uh, Episodes Pod. Please come and join the family. I'm forgetting to tell you something, but I can't remember what it is. So I'm sure I'll remember it by the next episode. And uh, the next episode will be coming at you in two weeks' time. Until then, Steve, thank you again for uh, taking your, your Friday night with us and spending it. You're welcome. And, uh, uh, well, I really, really appreciate it. Until next time, nerdos. Toodles. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.